0: Our next speaker is Dr. Amy Williams. Uh, she has uh, received her PhD in computer science from MIT, uh, just finished a postdoctoral research pos- position at Harvard, and is currently a postdoctoral research fellow at Columbia University. And her research is deals with the intersection of genetics and computer science. She will speak on answering new atheism and seeking a sure knowledge of God. Dr. Williams. Uh, it's an honor to be here today. I uh, have a background in computer science, and I study genetics. Um, but my talk today is somewhat philosophical in nature and uh, talking about science very broadly. Um, and. Uh, I want to mention that a lot of my friends are atheists. And this talk is not intended as an attack on atheism. uh, But there is a growing movement called New Atheism that is very hostile towards religion and belief. And it's towards that movement that I uh, wish to critique today. Uh, and I also want to mention that uh, if you uh, have any uh, leanings towards, uh, towards doubt of God, I hope that this is uh, helpful to you. And if you interact with atheists, um, most are very well-meaning, good, good-natured individuals, and um, uh, there's no need for hostility. So um, start with a couple definitions. Uh, atheism, you're probably all familiar, is the belief that there is no God. New atheism was characterized a few years ago in an article uh, by CNN, Uh, it's quoted here. It says, religion should not, it's the view that religion should not simply be tolerated but should be countered, criticized and exposed by rational argument wherever, wherever its influence arises. Many prominent new atheists will argue, and it was uh, mentioned earlier, that religion is uh, an evil influence on society, and presumably that's one of the the key reasons that uh, they take on the stance that they do. Something I like to point out when I'm in a conversation with an atheist colleague or friend uh, is what I have termed the paradox of atheism, Uh, and that paradox is this. If there is no God, then there is no trustworthy authority, that is, no God, to tell you that God is not there. Um, so if we wanted to try to prove that there was no God, we could begin by trying to search all of the physical universe. But the universe is far too large, so you can't even, uh, you can't search it and, and uh, verify that there's no God. Moreover, you have to search more than just the physical universe, you have to search the realm of the spirit. Uh, and, and the number of ways in which one could search the realm of the spirit, spirit is quite large as well. So it's impossible to prove that there is no God. But in contrast, if there is a God, he can reveal himself to you. So logically speaking, uh, atheism is completely unverifiable, whereas theism has the, the potential to be verified. And I don't want to oversimplify things. If we started searching the universe and we came across a being that said, I'm God, we might want to start asking some questions and make sure we really believe this. Um, But it's still the case that logically speaking, atheism can't be verified. And this is somewhat ironic because it's atheists that will often accuse believers of blind belief, but it's actually atheism that will always and forever be a blind belief in something that is unverifiable. So I'm going to touch on uh, four different things today. Um, The first thing I'm going to talk about is how I see faith and science as interrelated. Next, I'll talk about a few scientific-based arguments in favor of God. Then I'll talk about some new atheist messages, and I'll conclude with why I believe in God and in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So first, how do faith and science interrelate? Often, faith is equated with blind belief, but that's actually not what it is. If you look in the dictionary, there are two definitions listed here. One definition is confidence or trust in a person or thing, or belief that is not based on, on proof. And in the Book of Mormon, we have the definition that it is hope for things which are not seen, which are true. Now, we all trust each other day to day, and so we all exercise faith. And another uh, an example of faith is believing that the sun will rise. I believe that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. It's risen every other day of my life, but I actually don't yet have proof sitting in front of me that the sun is going to rise. I won't have proof until tomorrow morning. And a freak thing could happen, such as a meteor hitting the Earth and throwing it off of its orbit, sufficient that the sun would not rise in the same way. I guess it would have to be a very large meteor. And this is a very improbable event. But suffice it to say that uh, this is uh, believing that the sun will rise tomorrow is an act of faith. But even more broadly, we all exercise faith in every purposeful act we undertake. A prosaic example of this is going to the grocery store. Anytime time you undertake to go to the grocery store, you have faith in the location of the building, that you'll be able to get there, that there will be food inside, a cashier to take your money, reasonable prices, and that you will not get poisoned by eating that food. And perhaps there's even more faith when we go to school and study a subject. We have faith that the teacher is going to know more than us, that we'll be able to have a hope of understanding the subject, and that it will benefit our lives somehow by, by studying. Also in work, we have the faith that we'll be able to carry out the tasks that are given to us, that we will be paid for those tasks, and that it's ethical to carry out that work. But bringing this into the realm of science, uh, belief in scientific claims is also faith. So I assume that everyone here today and those listening believe that the earth is round and that it revolves around the sun. And I also believe these things, but I've never actually verified them for myself. And I suspect that most people haven't, haven't done that either. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that faith is not an intrinsically irrational uh, belief or act. It is, in fact, essential to function in life. And without faith, we wouldn't do anything. We wouldn't bother getting out of bed because we wouldn't believe that we, do, that we would be able to accomplish whatever it was we were undertaking to do, including uh, the very act of, of trying to get out of bed. Um, But not only do we exercise faith when we believe other scientists' claims, but the practice of science itself is an act of faith. Conducting experiments requires faith. Uh, It's often the case that experiments fail. And, uh, And so what keeps scientists persevering? What keeps them persevering is the belief that their efforts will be fruitful and that they will learn from the experiments they conduct and ultimately gain some understanding of whatever it is they're trying to probe. Uh, So given this, I've just possibly shaken some of your belief in in science. Uh, So why is it that science is given a special credence in society? Why do we view it as authoritative? The reason for this is that the claims of science are in principle verifiable. In research papers, scientists describe the observations they've made, the way they've collected data, and the analysis methods they've used. And in principle, I, as a third party, could go out and redo those experiments and be convinced of the same thing, or at least obtain the same uh, results as the scientists uh, have have obtained in uh, describing in their paper. But of course, this verification also requires faith. I need to obtain the education to be able to understand the research papers. And then I need to take the time and effort uh, and also expend some money in performing the experiments and buying the equipment necessary to undertake them. So one of my favorite examples is what I mentioned a moment ago of verifying that the earth revolves around the sun. I uh, searched a while ago and I found a website that uh, describes a way in which I as an individual could verify that the earth really does revolve around the sun. And this requires painstaking effort over a series of months of writing down where the stars are in the sky and where the constellations are. And ultimately, if I was to sit down, if I was so motivated and I made those observations, I would eventually be convinced that the earth revolves around the sun by firsthand uh, evidence and not just in believing other scientists. So now I'm gonna talk uh, briefly about a few scientific-based arguments in favor of God. And I wanna begin by speaking to um, God of the gaps arguments. Now, earlier this was mentioned, and uh, the idea is that um, individuals will find gaps in scientific knowledge where we don't understand how things came to be, and they will claim that God must exist in this uh, small gap of knowledge. This is problematic first because it paints God into a small uh, part of existence, and second because um, the the gaps in our knowledge keep decreasing. Scientific research keeps progressing, and and these gaps are shrinking. So if we were to put God in in a, a gap, uh, then he may he may ultimately even disappear. But I actually feel that. That, uh, God doesn't exist in the gaps of knowledge. In fact, I think scientific discoveries reveal God's handiwork. When we discover a scientific truth, we are discovering how God's work, God works. He underrides all of existence and He does things in very ordered, logical ways. The scientific laws, the laws of physics, and all of the rest are how God has ordained, uh, existence to be. Uh, so now I'm just going to talk very briefly, and I'm, I'm going to touch on some uh, counter arguments to this, about um, uh, physical evidence for, for God. So uh, the Big Bang happened. It happened at a, there was some beginning to existence. And we don't understand much about how this happened, but it was a very ordered, uh, uh, exi- uh, ordered happening. And it was sufficient to bring about a universe in which life could begin. Uh, and then a few of the physical constants point quite strongly, and again, I'll talk to some, some counterarguments to this in a moment, but point quite, quite strongly to what's called the fine-tuned nature of the universe. So the gravitational constant, every, every physical object is attracted to every other physical object. With, uh, according to a gravitation, the gravitational constant. If that constant were different by an amount of a, a billionth, 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 a very small fraction different, then stars could not exist. Uh, also, the critical density of matter, if if matter were only 10 to the minus 60th, a very, very small fraction different than it is, then either the Big Bang would have collapsed in on itself because gravity would have pulled in all of, all of matter, or, um, or all all of the uh, matter would have expanded and you could not have had stars forming. Uh, and this uh, these uh, these constants have actually caused scientists to uh to say very striking things about a creator. So Sir Fred Hoyle was a, a physicist uh, many years ago, said, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics, as well as with chemistry and biology, and that there are no blind forces we're speaking about in nature. The Numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. It's a very striking statement and he didn't believe in God in the way that that uh we in the LDS church do. We he believed in a super intellect. Uh and you know, I actually think that he may change may have changed his mind if he lived long enough to see some of some of the theories that I'll talk about in a little bit. But it's it's still a, an interesting set of uh set of facts here. So now I want to talk through some new atheist messages. And the reason I want to speak to these is that uh, it can be easy when one encounters some of these messages to feel one's faith shaken. And I've certainly had that experience, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about these things, uh, and done so in an effort to uh try and understand how to answer to these questions, because I do think that they are reasonable questions to raise in the context of religion. So um, one counter-argument, a very prominent counter-argument to uh to religion is comparing belief in God to belief in something that we know to be false. So here I've shown the the flying spaghetti monster. So there are individuals who I assume in jest uh, claim to believe to the to belong to the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, and they say my belief in this being is on equal footing with God. Therefore, you know there can't be a God because uh, you you need to supply me with some evidence. Uh, this is an equivalent argument to Russell's teapot. So Bertrand Russell was an atheist several years ago, put forth the claim that he believes that there's a teapot orbiting the sun, and um, and since I can't, since uh, individuals can't prove him wrong about this teapot, then uh, then that's on equal footing with claiming that there's a god. So, in summary, they're asking for some evidence before they'll believe. The, my response to this is that. A show me attitude towards uh, any claim actually doesn't yield insight. When I claim, or when an astronomer claims that the Earth revolves around the Sun, I could stand here, let's say someone was uh, making that claim to me, I could stand here all day and say, well, I won't believe it. You gotta show me some evidence. I see the Sun every day it rises, and it's clear that it's re- revolving around the Earth. But the fact, so the fact is that if I wanted to gain some insight on that question, I could follow through the, the, um, the, the methods that have been outlined and become convinced that the earth really does revolve around the sun. And ultimately, this flying spaghetti monster is really about uh, mocking uh, mocking believers and, and God, which doesn't prove anything, of course. And speaking of mo- mockery, uh, a very common tactic that is employed by new atheists is uh, is intimidation and uh Richard Dawkins has encouraged uh those who listen to him to uh, when they encounter a believer to come at them in a very a very combative sort of way and say do you really believe in that that Jesus walked on the water do you really believe in something pick you know cherry picking something that's maybe a little bit hard to answer um another thing that I, I've so I've had many conversations with atheists over the years and um, I've lost count of the number of times that I've been told that I'm uh, delusional and um, what I have realized in pondering that claim is that actually individuals who say that have no evidence that I'm delusional um, and I guess I would kind of tend to argue that that I have some evidence against that, that I tend to function pretty well in society and um but moreover uh, it's quite presumptuous of someone to say well you're making a claim i don't believe or i don't want to believe um and so your mind is somehow messed up and um they're they're actually claiming to know my psychology better than me um and so uh so anyway so that's my response to uh to those sorts of claims is uh is that they really don't have any evidence to make such a claim uh something i'm i uh, am I find quite sad as uh, reading articles by uh, great scholars that make false and overreaching statements. So this statement is not uh, in that category, this is a setup. So Steven Pinker, who's a linguist and uh, at Harvard, uh, published an article a couple months ago, and uh, he had a paragraph where he said that Uh, You know, he started out and said, from science, we know that life began four billion years ago, the universe is 14 billion years old, space and time don't fit our intuitions. All this is in consensus with uh, the scientific um, community and, and all seems just fine. But then in the same paragraph, he goes on to say, and we know that there is no such thing as fate, providence, karma, or answers to prayers. And you know, reading this, I, I found myself feeling uh, like I wanted to ask him the question, how do you know? He started out with something very um, solid, and in the same paragraph, without missing a beat, he makes claims that, for which he has no evidence, as far as I can tell. Um, another statement, now this is actually hearkening back a little bit to a talk that was given earlier about uh, agency. And Jerry Coyne is a biologist at the University of Chicago published an article a few months ago uh, in the Chronicle Review. And the whole article is about agency and claiming that the laws of physics are deterministic. Therefore, the chemicals in your brain are behaving according to these predefined laws, and agency is an illusion. And in the midst of this article, he puts in parentheses this statement. It's possible, though improbable, that the indeterminacy of quantum physics may tweak behavior a bit, but such random effects can't be part of free will. Now, I want to say that I don't know for certain, uh, and I don't mean to even claim that quantum physics is how free will operates. But to, for, for this person to say that, uh, physics is deterministic and therefore we don't have free will is in, uh, is in conflict with this concept that, uh, that we already know and have good evidence for that there is indeterminacy and randomness in physics. And I'll just mention that, um, you know, again, that randomness doesn't necessarily mean free will, but it's more complicated than this article was, was, uh, was claiming. Uh, now, scientific-based uh, arguments are used uh, against belief in God. Now, I, I study genetics and I do believe in evolution, so let that be clear. But one thing I like to say, and this is a bit of a caricature, but one thing I like to say uh, to summarize what, what people uh, uh, claim when they say that evolution contradicts God is that they're saying, we've looked at a bunch of fossils And we're pretty sure there's no God. And you know, to me, that seems like a complete non sequitur. Now, again, that's a caricature. And so to be fair, they're doing more than just looking at fossils. They're comparing them. They're they're estimating split times and this and that. But this doesn't disprove God. Just because there's a relationship between species doesn't mean that there's no God. Uh, the multiverse hypothesis, which was actually talked about uh, earlier by Dr. Hellings, uh, is used as a argument to God. And um, I was able to sort of chat with him briefly uh, at the break. And uh, so, the, ba- the 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 multiverse hypothesis says that uh, in in each moment there is a universe that comes into existence with different physical constants than our own. And given that if there are an infinite number of universes being created, then each one should have a different set of constants and eventually we should arrive at one that have the constants that are right for life. And we are just lucky enough to be in a universe, in such a universe that has physical constants right for life. So my response to this is, that may be so, but that doesn't mean that there's no God. Uh, and moreover, I'll just mention briefly that I'm, I'm told by, by an expert that uh, the physical constants that are instantiated in this universe are actually quite unlikely to occur just by random chance. So it's not clear that selection could have operated to, to bring this about. Okay, so now I'm going to um, tell you why, why I believe in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and why I believe in God. And I actually believe that in the church we have a great thing, which is we, we have a very empirical based uh, belief system. So what do I mean by empirical? The dictionary definition is that it is derived from exper- experience or experiment. Um, when I was young I was taught in the church that I could have a personal relationship with God and answers to prayer. That's an empirical thing. That's a first-hand experience with God. Now, it's again, it's somewhat complicated like I was saying earlier. I had to convince myself and be certain that this was really God. But I believed the people around me when they said that they had had such experiences. I didn't believe that they were lying to me. And so for a period of time, for a very long time, I didn't have that evidence of my own, but I I put this, uh, this challenge to the test and I started to, to get some of these experiences. So how do we actually get these first-hand experiences with God? One of the most commonly repeated messages in scripture is found in Matthew 7, 7, and again, all throughout in different uh, language, ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find. So what does this mean, or how, can, how do I uh, see this? So um, Elder Neal A. Maxwell, several years ago, the late apostle in the church said, the Book of Mormon is something tangible and verifiable. Now, what did he mean by this? Now, I don't know what Elder Maxwell meant, but I will tell you what, what I hear and understand from this. So first of all, if, if the Book of Mormon is verifiable, that's a, that's a scientific sort of claim. Um, in Alma 32, we have the, the phrase experiment upon the word. And in Moroni 10.4, we, we read in the very last chapter of the Book of Mormon, ask God, the eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true, and then it lists some conditions. Uh, ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith, and God will manifest it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. So so let me boil this down in, in detail. So um, Moroni is reporting the methods he's used, and I'm putting my own words here on the observations. This may be different for uh, for other individuals, but I'll tell you my observations. So the methods that are used are you know, you have to have a desire to know, and I'll say that I actually don't believe you have to, you have to believe ahead of time that it's true. You have to believe in the possibility. Just like when I go out and try and verify that the earth revolves around the sun, I don't have to believe it beforehand, but I have to believe that it's worth my effort to, to go out and, and actually do it. So you have to have a desire to know if it's true, and I think an openness to know. Uh, and then you have to study the scriptures, offer earnest prayer, and then I, you have to critically have a willingness to act on the witness that's obtained. And the, the observations that I've had are very peaceful and loving uh, feelings from my Heavenly Father telling me that He loves me and that He's there and that He has a plan for me. So the prediction from Moroni 10 is that God's spirit and a witness from God can come to all who seek. Um, so, so bringing this back a little bit and comparing this to, to science, knowing that the earth revolves around the sun takes a desire to know, study of the constellations and time. Knowing that the Book of Mormon is true requires a desire to know, a study of the scriptures prayer, time, and an openness and willingness to act on what is given. Uh, And it is my my testimony that God answers prayers to those who seek. Um, So a couple take-home messages. We all live and act by faith and little else. If we have questions about a scientific claim, we can use faith and expend the effort to verify those claims. Uh, New atheism has not proven that there is no God. Um, we shouldn't throw out truths we haven't already verified, and I have a little bit more to say on this, and if there's a time, I will, uh, I have just a couple more slides, um, and then I and, and very many others have testified of God an influence in their lives. You can you can doubt my claims, and in some ways, um, I don't believe that doubt per se is, is a problem. Questioning and, and seeking are, are the fruit of, of a discovery, and. Uh, finally, I just want to make a call for civility and respect uh, in uh, the dialogue on these questions. Thanks very much. <laughs> Great. So first question, when you are confronted by new atheists about your belief, what is your most effective method for to engage? How do you keep things civil and maybe even productive? Um, so I think it varies. Um, I, I uh, I've had experiences where I just basically don't uh, don't say very much. If someone wants to pick a fight with me, I'll just kind of um, more quietly sort of state my case and then let them have their way and um, you know have their have you know get get upset if they will. Um, but I think. Taking, taking the position of wanting to really engage with the person and like listening to what they have to say and digging into the, the details of the questions that are being asked can, can um, make this a less combative sort of thing. Take, I, I think taking the person very seriously uh, and listening to what they have to say is, is one of the things. I don't know if that, that's the best uh, answer, but. I've had the understanding that the definition of the scientific method belie- being, believing in things which are seen or otherwise observable, which are true, is this correct? How can I improve? Um, well, hmm, let's see, let me think about this for a second. Um, so I think that that is, that is correct, it, I mean, it's not always seen with your eyes, it's using instruments and, and uh, things to, to probe reality, but it is uh, physical. And um, I, don't, I don't think this is incorrect at all. And I guess what I'm meaning to claim is that there is a spiritual realm that can be probed with uh, instruments that we all possess, and that when we obtain, uh, we can learn that that is, a, that is a trustworthy source of observation. I Hope that answers. Okay. Uh, Using the correct definition of atheism, which is not a belief there is no God, but rather a lack of belief in gods, how do you respond to the new atheist claim that we are all atheists in regards to 99% of gods and that they just go one God further? What secular evidence supports your idea that Yahweh is the most practical God? I wish um, I cut some things. I I, uh, had some slides that actually answered this. So, um, so... The question, here's my response to this claim that, that, uh, a, uh, I'm rejecting 99% of gods, atheists go just a little bit further to 100%. My, my answer is that I actually believe in a divine being just like any other theist person on earth. That's a very different thing than saying that there is no God whatsoever. Um, and I'd ascribe to, to God, Yahweh, very different, uh, uh, properties than somebody that believes in Baal or Thor, but uh, we both would believe if I was to interact with such a person. We both would believe in a divine being. So I hope that that can answer your question. I think that I think that, that it, taking a leap from I, I don't think that this is a quantitative sort of question. I guess so. Two, two more. Um, how does one become certain that the response that they receive is really truly from God? Is this not solely a decision one makes that is response that is the response, sorry, is this not solely a decision one makes that the response is from God? Yeah, so I think this, this is a tricky question. And um, when I first started having uh, spiritual experiences, this was a question I had. Is it possible that my mind was tricking me and that I was telling myself this was God? Um, and I guess what I would say to to a person that has this sort of question is, uh, if you will continue to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ or the light and knowledge you've received concerning God, and if you will ask God to prove himself to you, eventually he will. Um, when you get to a certain level of commitment with God, he will, he will prove himself to you in a way that is unmistakable. That is my witness and um, that is my experience. Um, as opposed to believing it, sorry, as opposed to believing, is it possible to know that God is real? How does one make that transition? So, um, I would say that it is possible. And I think this is related to the previous question. And the reason I feel that it is possible is that God can do for you things that you will know personally could not be done by any other means. I, I don't know how to answer that without getting into, um, details in my personal life that I think would be inappropriate in this, in this sort of public setting. But I, I will say that, um, I've had deep and profound experiences where God has spoken to me and has done things for me and reassured me in ways that I knew, uh, uh, were, could only have been from Him. And, um, that, uh, That is not a one-time thing either. Uh, These things, for for myself, have to be replenished. I think um, knowledge grows with time, and I I feel more solid today than I did when I was 14 years old in, in terms of my belief and my knowledge of God, but it does continue to grow. Thank Dr. Williams.